This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, welcome to Journey of Unity number seven. So tonight's Pasuk, in order to understand it in its entirety, I think we have to go a little bit backwards in history here. Um, it was funny because actually as I was driving, I prepared this class like as I was driving with like literally like a book in one hand. No, don't ask. I was holding the wheel also somehow, but um, I was like going through the song in my head, like, you know, it's just you know, going through the thing. And I got to this Pasuk and I was like, like, wow, I really don't know what this Pasuk means at all. So before we like go into this, you know, sometimes like I know what the Pasuk means, like the words, and then sometimes mm. you start off and I'm like, I don't even know where this Pasuk is going. So let, let's go back in history a little bit, okay? We started off talking about the Asia's Kyle. And we said this Asia's Kyle is an amazing woman. She's just incredible. Nobody could find her. Like, she's just like one of a kind, right? Like, her husband trusts her. He knows she's not squandering all of his money, right? And then we said, She has her emotions in check. Like, this woman is just like superwoman, right? And then we said, Which means that she goes out there. She gets all the stuff that she needs in order to, like, sew clothing for her family. So her family's dressed, you know, dressed to kill, uh, what's that store in Lakewood that sells like $900 like baby outfits, whatever. So she's, she's the original lady who, you know, sells those clothes. She's just like amazing, right? And then, she goes out like a merchant ship and she's like selling her wares. So she came from humble beginnings, right? She starts off, she has like the skill that she develops. And then all of a sudden she became this like magnet, like this woman who's going out there and really selling stuff and she's she's handling and she's bartering and she's buying and selling and that became like right and then we talk about at the same time her family's not neglected she gets up early in the morning her husband goes out with his little tuna fish sandwich and the kids go out with their peanut butter and jelly sandwiches like everybody has what they need from her and of course we said that you know this is ambidextrous so it's not just the woman it's also the man everybody's contributing and they're developing skills and they're in the business world and then comes along this Pasuk. And the Pasuk says, Zamama Sada Vatika What does that mean? She goes out there and she, she like measures a field. So this woman, all of a sudden, she's going out and she's like, let me see this field. What is this field? She's checking the soil. She's like making determinations whether this field is like a fit field for this, for her to purchase. Vatika And then she purchases this field. And where does she have money for this? So miprikapeha, she gets it miprikapeha from the fruits of her labor, which means that she's not just like starting to figure out like how do I get money. No, she's already saved enough money that she's investing like the proceeds from other monies, and she's buying a field, and also not the karim. She's also buying vineyards, which is like a little bit more sophisticated. So let's understand what we're talking about here. You know, when I was originally envisioning an Aisha's Chayel, and I think most people here would agree, you imagine she's like this lady with like her head on sideways. She like, you know, knows like so, like Tanakh, you know what I'm saying? Like she's saying Tehillim half the day. She's davening for a family. And she's a sweet little canadal. And like she does what she does. And all of a sudden comes along this woman. And so far half the psukim we're dealing with, this woman is like on a career path. Like she's just, she's just, hauling over here she's starting off developing her skills she builds up her businesses she's wheeling and dealing she starts shipping right import export and then all of a sudden she's like now changing over from 
all of the stuff that she did until now. And now she's investing in real estate. Like she's all of a sudden becoming like a guru in like 1031s, reverse 1031s, like, you know what I'm saying? Like a cost segregation. Like she's like, all of a sudden she's like wheeling and dealing in, in real estate. Like what, what's going on over here? Like what's happening? This is not the, the Edel Canadel that we all envisioned in the beginning. And Chazal say that that's exactly the point is that in order for a person to be successful within their lives, Edel Canadel doesn't work. Rabbi Berkowitz, my Rabbi always used to say, we are the only people that dance around once a year with our books. Most people, they go into a library and they open the book and they sit there and they look inside and they go, okay, I read a book. We are the only people that jump around and literally like we're screaming, we're Moshe Emes, Viserese Emes, like we're throwing our kids up into the ear. We're so excited. What are you so excited about? The answer is, is that we are excited about Chachma. That's what we're excited about because Chachma produces results. When a person is smart, they're able to, to do whatever is needed for the world. Rebergutz always would say that, that the world says ignorance is bliss and we say ignorance is dumb. That's just a very bad strategy for life. So this Aisha Chayel understood this message. And what did she do? She said, I'm going to start off going through my life and I'm going to try to maximize for my family. Let's talk about Parnasa because if you don't have money, you're not going to be able to survive. I'm going to make sure that my family has what they need. So in, in the beginning, when she doesn't have any money, she's doing it all on her own. She's bootstrapping it. She's making sure that her family has what she needs. She's, she's weaving. She's looming. I don't know what you call it. Yeah, she's she's sitting on the loom and she's weaving, right? She's doing whatever her family needs in order to provide for her family. That's what she's doing in the beginning. And then she expands her enterprise. And here, she expanded it even further. It wasn't enough that she went into import-export. She also expanded it even further. The first idea that I want to talk about is the idea of Chachma and importing Chachma into your day and into your life. There's a person I was talking to a number of years ago whose husband, Baruch Hashem, made enough money. He was doing fine. Now, every time I would talk to this couple, there was always a kvetch. There was always an issue that was going on. And it dawned on me after like a number of meetings with this person, like five or six meetings, it dawned on me that the the wife, in this case, simply didn't have much going on in her in her day. Like when I was talking to her, I was like, Tommy, what, what do you do? And it was like usually a question that I ask like right in the beginning. For some reason here, like it didn't dwell on me like her answer. And the bottom line is after everything is said and done, she really didn't do anything. Like to her, like her, her knowledge base was basically who she's meeting for coffee, what type of coffee she's ordering and in what coffee shop she's meeting them. That was basically like the sum total of her entire day. And it dawned on me that of course this person is miserable because she has zero fulfillment in her day. She has zero fulfillment in her life. She has no real stimulation in her day. So of course she's miserable because everything is bothering her. All she does is sit around all day and and just have problems. If a person goes through their day where there's, there's challenge, where there's stimulation, they're going for a degree. If they're going into work, usually little things don't bother them as much because they actually have other sipok, other things that are giving them satisfaction outside of the home. The first idea, the simple idea, is if a person does not have anything going on in their life, they usually will will find something to fetch about, something to complain about. If a person wants to have a fulfilling marriage, you oftentimes have to have a fulfilling personal life, a professional life. 
You're contributing. You feel like you're not just a schlepper within your marriage. You're not just somebody else who's just a tag along. The idea of Chachma is, is something, you know, we recently, Kalyasho recently lost Rebbitz and David. It's like a classic example of, I think, what people would, would, would conventionally not think would be the classic role of a woman. Rebbitz and David was Rav Huttner's daughter's only child. Right, she became Rebbitz and David. She was the one who, who in many ways, formed over the last, I would say, fifty years, the entire chinuch system for women, was because Rav Hutner, the Rosh Hashiva, realized that women need education. They need chachma. They they can't walk into a door and be totally clueless. They can't just know the imahis and then say, okay, I'm I'm good. It's good enough for me. You have to be able to sharpen your mind. Sharpen whatever you're lending to your family that you're not just somebody who's just going through the motions and yeah, 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 I'll leave that to my husband or that's something that my, that's my wife's department. No. A husband and a wife. You have to have chachma and you have to utilize that chachma and you have to have challenge and you have to have bringing into your marriage on a daily basis, not just the money, but that you're pushing yourself and that you have real things going on in your life. A bunch of years ago, I went to Houston, Texas on a seed program. This was right after I got married. And I was giving a shear. And you may have noticed when I give classes, I talk very fast. It's just, I don't know. I'm from New York. We use our hands. I'm very visual. Whatever. That's just how it is. So I try to be consciously a little bit slower, but it's hard. That's just how it is. Anyways, I gave, I sat down and I gave a class. And in Texas, you may have heard people who talk from Texas. They talk very slow. So I'm giving this class and... I'm literally, you know, just, just zipping out information. And there's one guy who's sitting there and it looks like he's totally not getting anything. And at the end of the class, he's like, Rabbi, can I ask you a question? And that was like six times faster than he said it. He literally was so slow. And I was like, okay, here's this guy sitting at the end of the table, probably not, you know, that intelligent. And he started asking a question. And by the time he got to the end of the question, I realized this guy was super smart. Like it was a really deep question. So I started talking to him and then he stood up to come a little bit closer. And I noticed that on his lapel, he had a badge. It said like, um, something about like, like security, like meaning like top security clearance, whatever. And it said Halliburton. Now I know how many people here know what Halliburton is. Halliburton is Dick Cheney, the former vice president was involved in a company called Halliburton. And what they do is basically they mine for oil all around the world. And there were allegations that the reason why America invaded Iraq was because Dick Cheney was pushing them to go ahead and, you know, steal their oil, basically. Like that was, you know, what they were saying. And it dawned on me that this guy is like super high level clearance in Halliburton, which is a company that they, they mine the, they mine the floor for, for oil. So after I answered his question and we were talking, I said to him, could you tell me a little bit about what you do? So he was like, Oh, you're not going to get it. So like he turned the table on me. Oh, you're not going to get it. Like you're too dumb to get it. And I was like, one second, one second. Like, like tell me, like challenge me, like tell me what you do. And the guy went into like a whole like detail about how he, how he studies minerals. Um, and he goes up into it, like they fly him in helicopters and is able to look down and see how the soil interacts with the soil underneath. And he's able to ultimately be able to tell, like, if that's a place that they should dig for oil. Like, this guy's like a genius. Like, that's what I'm trying to get at. This guy is a genius. And it, it struck me at the time that a lot of times we think we have all the information and we're good and we'll just live our lives the way it is. But a, smise, a, a wise person understands, right, that when you go to other people, 
that's when you really gain information. When you're listening, that's when you're actually getting information. The first idea is a simple idea, is that it is a crime to be stupid. It is a crime to be uneducated. It is a crime to sit around all day and, and bring nothing into your family. Bring nothing, like to just sit around and not have a productive life. Each and every person has to understand. This is the third, this is the third career for the Aisha Chayel. Okay. This is her third go around. She keeps increasing what she does. And this is the third time she, she started off in her home. She then broke out into another enterprise. And this is the third time that she's now investing in her family. And each time that she does it, she has to learn a new skill and a new trade. The first time she had to learn how to sew. Fine. The second time she had to learn how to handle, how to bargain, which products to buy, how much to charge for it, right? How much a shipping cost, how to, how to build it in, what's cost of goods sold? How do I run a business? Where's my operations handle at? Where's my secretary? She went through like all the steps to building a business. Now she's like, wait, not only do I know all of that, but Zama Masada, I'm going to also be into the real estate. I'm going to know, I'm going to walk into a building and kick the floor and know like, oh, this is good concrete. This is a good foundation. This is good soil. And then I'm going to learn it to the point where I'm even able to, to plant a vineyard. And I'm going to know the different types of grapes and which grapes and which one makes wine. And I'm going to start like expanding even further. This is not a, this is not a slouch. This is a person who is driven, who is motivated to provide as much as they possibly can for their family. So that is number one. Fulfillment in life, not slouching along. Every minute of every day, if it's not spent in something ruchnias, it should be spent in something that is productive for your family. Education, knowledge, a degree, a job, something that's actually producing. That's number one. The second thing which struck me was the idea that where did she get the money for this? So it says, that means that she took the the fruits of her labor and that's where she went to her let's call it her next investment she went ahead she made money right she was like a merchant ship and then she she had extra profits and then she said now i'm going to go ahead and, and invest in real estate and what struck me was that originally we spoke about batach balevala meaning that what is a good wife that she doesn't spend her husband's money and I, I, I would argue that a lot of our marriages are built on that premise, right? That there's a, very often there's a one-sided, let's call it domain of marriage, of money. In the marriage, whose side is it that handles money? Very often it's one-sided. Let's call it whoever's better at it. And that's what it seems like. The husband in, in traditionally is the one who makes the money. And batach balevala, like he trusts her not to squander his money, but who's making it? He's making it. But then we keep reading and we're like, not necessarily. This is, this woman is joint over here. This woman went out, Darsha, some of her, right? She, she went out, she started weaving. Then she went ahead and she started this import expert business. And then all of a sudden now she's investing in real estate. And not only that, she saved enough money to be doing all of this on her own. This woman is not like sitting at home, like shopping on Amazon all day and she like saved him 30%. That's not what she did. She's, she's a contributing factor over here. My wife always likes to say there's something called like a Venn diagram, which is basically that there's like two circles that overlap. And essentially that's what most marriages are. There's like the his side of the equation, there's the her side of the equation, and then there's the joint side of the equation, the middle stuff. I think a lot of people will agree that, you know, what safer your husband is currently learning or whether or not your wife, Davin Mincha, are probably in their respective boxes in their respective circles, right? It's, it's, it's not your thing that you need to be busy with on a daily basis. But then there's the middle stuff. 
And what goes into the middle stuff is a skill to be able to navigate that the two of you in every relationship are able to work out how do we make this work, right? When it comes to money, what we're basically saying over here is that this is not like a one-sided transaction. This is not like one person takes care of stuff and the other one says, okay, thank you very much. This is a joint thing to the point where she's contributing this. And I was once involved in a story and I'm not advocating for for secular law. Of course, we go to Besden. But in, in this particular case, um, there was a case where there was a couple that got divorced shortly. I have to just remember the details. They, um, they got divorced shortly before the, 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 I believe it was the wife went off to start her career. And basically the husband had supported her through all of her college, all of her education. She went to get her bachelor's degree. She went to get her master's degree. And then it came to the point where she was ready to start her career. Their marriage fell apart and Leilinu, they got divorced. Okay. When they came to like setting up who owes who money, so there were like forensic accountants involved and there were, there were lawyers and everything. And what came out, interestingly, was that when it comes, this is a Gemara concept, but it's applied today a little bit different, is that there are assets that come into a marriage, right? So let's say a girl got a, a bas mitzvah ring from her uncle, right? And that ring is worth $100. And then a couple gets divorced. That, that ring is hers, right? But now let's say when they got married, somebody gave them a gift, Whatever it is, a silver plate. Whose plate is that? The answer is it's, it's, it's marital property. It really belongs to both of them. And throughout the divorce proceedings, they have to figure out who gets which item. It could be money. It could be whatever it is. And in this case, the ruling was, was that since the husband had supported his wife through all of her degrees, now that she was about to start a career that was going to launch and make her a ton of money, I think it was, I believe it was, um, a, she was going to become an attorney. I, I forget exactly the details, but she was something like a very high paying job. The husband was entitled for a certain amount of time to much of her earnings. It wasn't like, you know, 10%. It was like, it was entitled to like a significant portion of her earnings. And the rationale was, there was no way you could have done this on your own. This was not a one, 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 you know, one person could not do this on their own. The Aisha's Chayel understands and the husband understands when you're in a marriage, you have a partner. And that partner is not a theoretical partner. All decisions that fall into that middle box have to become joint decisions. Not compromise and I'll tell you how you do this. It, do, it doesn't mean everybody needs to be like 100% agreeable on every single thing. But there has to be an understanding that a married couple is a married couple. Your decisions take into account the other person sitting on the other side of the table from you. You want to each have separate bank accounts that's like your slush fund for whatever it is? No problem. But the middle, the the decisions, the investing, the determination of are we going to college or are we not going to college? And I say we, even if it's only one party, are we investing in a business or are we not investing in a business? The big life decisions, it has to be joint. And I'll just add one piece over here. That when it comes down to it, what I find is that in many, many relationships, people give the other person very indirectly and they think they're doing a great job. What that means is you could have a husband, he's out all day and he's working, you know, from nine in the morning till nine o'clock at night. And he comes in the door and he's exhausted. And his wife is looking at him and saying, like, you know, 
hi, I'm here, you know, like, where were you all day? And a lot of times, like, the person is like, what, what do you mean? We're like, I just worked for nine hours, 10 hours, 12 hours for you. What do you mean? Like, now I have to go on a walk with you, on a date with you. And I, what I always say, and this is true, is that what you just gave your spouse is very, very good, but it's indirect giving. That means you did not give them what they need. Your spouse is not going to feel like their batteries are charged by you walking in the door after 12 hours. They feel empty because you were not here for 12 hours. But what I do want to say is that if if your spouse has so much time outside of whatever you're doing, make sure that it's joint. What does that mean? Within within the Venn diagram, within the outside worlds, the, the thing that the person is doing, for example, let's say your spouse is at work or you're at work, whatever it is. And they're separate because I'm, I'm doing my job. He's doing his job. Okay. So I'm here and he's here. If you spend the time to get to, 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 to step into that world just a little bit, you will find so much bonding within those conversations. So here, here's what I'm saying. Certain things are center. They're both of us. We have to sit down and decide which couch we're going to get because it's, but we're both going to sit on the couch and it's going to sit in our living room. So therefore it's clearly a center piece. But on the things that are on the outside, appreciate what your spouse does for you, even though it's indirect. If your husband is learning in Kailal, make sure you're participating something. What masacht are you learning? When are you making a siyam? How could I send danishes? Be involved. Be involved. Your husband goes to a shir at night. Anything. You know what I'm saying? Your wife has an exercise class. Oh, I'm happy to watch the kids while you do that thing. Realize that even the things that are on the fringe, on your own separate worlds, they're not really your own separate worlds. You're married to somebody. They're joint. If you save money, they save money. This is not two people. This is one unit. And as a unit, you have to look at yourself that everything that's going on in the unit, I'm not saying that you have to become 100% blended. Husband doesn't have to drive you to your exercise class and sit outside for an hour to be yaitse that he went to the exercise class. But if he participates even 2%, you'll oftentimes feel like, wow, thank you. You acknowledge that I, I have me time. You took over the children for that time. You, you gave them lunch. You gave them supper. Whatever it is th- that your spouse was involved in those side of things. What I find with too often with couples is that because they're separate and they do their own separate things, there's a complete separation. The wife has no idea where the husband is, what he's doing, where the money is. The husband has no idea what the wife is, where, who's her friends, what's her social circle. No idea. Two people living completely separate lives. And if you if you put those two together a little bit, you'll oftentimes find a lot of common ground. And the last idea is something that struck me, which was very interesting, is that here you have a woman who, if you would have told me a long time ago that she she provides for her family, I would say very nice. Like, Dayenu, good job. Like, lady, Aisha's Chayel, Kalakavod, you, you, you're, you're good. You're knocking it out of the park. You brought in some cash. We're happy for you. You sewed your kids' clothes wonderful. But that's not what she did. If you notice, this is the third Gilgal of this lady's career. This is the third time that she's going into business. And it really struck me. What does that mean? It means that she's not somebody who's content with where she is in life. It means that she said, when I finish with this platform, I'm jumping to the next platform. I'm finished with that platform. I'm jumping to the third platform. I'm going to trans, I'm, I'm going to transform myself. From a simple person to a more sophisticated person to an even more sophisticated person. What I notice in marriages, this was a chiddush that right before Pesach, I was talking to, to a couple and this, this like hit me like thunderbolt, something that I've been saying for such a long time, but it really gave me clarity. So many couples are trying to change the other person. They're trying to change them. Most, most calls, if, if I would sum it 
up in like one minute is that somebody's trying to change the other person. What's wrong with your marriage? My wife is crazy or my husband is crazy. They need to change. They're neglecting me. Whatever the case may be, you're trying to change the other person. And what, what struck me before Yantif was I was talking to somebody and I realized that in order for somebody to change, think about this woman, this Asia style, in many ways, she either, you want to call it changed or transformed, right? She's, I don't want to use the word evolution, but she's, she, she, right? She's gone through a process here of becoming a more professional businesswoman. I think that's clear. Okay. Now within our lives, a lot of people are trying to get somebody to change or transform, but they're, they're like, why is it not happening? And what I realized was that in effect, Every conversation between a couple, it really gets broken down into three categories, okay? I implore you to really internalize this idea. The first level that I'll call it is the basic conversation between a couple, okay? You're engaged, so it's where you're holding right now, okay? It's the basic stuff. You're talking about really nothingness, okay? Nothing that's like earth-shattering, Oh, how was your day? What was this? The stuff, the Dave and Buster stuff. The stuff where you're literally just like schmoozing. Oh, very nice. Oh, you had to finish the lunch. Like literally stuff. That's just nothing. Because when you're building a relationship, that's what you're doing. You're, you're, that's what you're talking about. Okay. The second level is a little bit heavier conversations. Oh, what, you know, you weren't home and, and I feel like you don't love me anymore and you don't spend enough time with me. You don't do homework with the kids. This is not good. Like that's like the second level. And the third level is transformation. It's transformative conversations. Like, you know, you, you really need therapy, you know, like, like, like you have real anger issues. Like this is a real problem. I think you need to be diagnosed or I think you'd really need to go to a doctor, get some, you know, medication. That's like those level of conversation. It's a much heavier conversation. It's, it's that third level of conversation. And what I realized is that many, many couples are going about this completely wrong because they're in so much pain or they're angry or they're upset. What are they really doing? They're having very strong level two and level three conversations. So most of their interaction is not anymore, oh, you ate tuna fish or peanut butter. What's their conversations at that point? You know, you're really sick. You're really crazy. There's something wrong with you. Who raised you? I can't believe, you know what I'm saying? I, like I was duped. This is this is a mechachtais. Like this is not what I signed up for. That's most of their conversations. What I realized was you can't have a level two to level three conversation if you don't actually have a level one. If you don't actually have a marriage to fight for, if you don't have something to, 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 to have a reason, a compelling reason, like I, I really like this person, therefore I will change for them, then you're not gonna, you're not gonna change. I, 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 I was telling this to my wife, like this really struck me because a lot of couples, they come in and I say to them, take a week, take two weeks. Don't talk about heavy stuff in your house. It's almost like doing surgery, like heart surgery in your own home. It's not a sterile environment. The patient could die. They could get an infection. If you're going to open up, you can't do that in, in a place where it's not conducive. Have that here in my office. We'll do it here. But for the next week, build a marriage. I always said this, build a marriage and then come back and then we'll talk about the heavier stuff. What, what's, what's really being conveyed is not just build a marriage, is spend time on level one. Build your, your time. Go for walks. Don't talk about why you're bad. Talk about why you're good. Spend the time to actually build something. Then you need to say, by the way, you know, we had an awesome week. You're amazing. You're incredible. This was just like out of this world. By the way, you know, like, you know, by the way, usually then a lot of your negativity goes away because your complaints are no longer complaints. 
right? What are you complaining about? You weren't here? You were here. You're complaining that the person was upset and angry with you? They weren't upset and angry with you. You know, a lot of the level two stuff just goes away. You want to have a serious conversation now? Like, by the way, like, you know, you really need to spend more time with our child. Fine, you could talk now. You could talk like a mensch. You'll, you'll, you'll take out all the venom, all the animosity. Like, you, you'll be able to talk just like, yeah, you know, I think like, you're, you're an amazing husband. We just had a rock, like, amazing week. But like, our kid could use a little bit more of your time. Oh, okay, I could hear that. It, it's so much more accepted because you actually have a level one. You actually have a marriage. If you have a marriage, you could talk about level two and you could talk about level three. So my wife, who's very, very positive, she added, it also works in the positive side because not everything is negative. That if you have a very positive relationship on level one, then on it comes to level two stuff, you could also have that conversation. I'll explain to you what I mean. A lot of times you have husbands and wives that like to to, to delve through concepts. Chidushim. I'm not talking about a chidush like telling, you know, sharing with each other like a pilpul vart. I'm talking about like a marriage concept or a chinuch concept or a deep machshava, right? And if you're talking it through, you need your head space, you need your emotion space, you need to be able to like have like a back and forth conversation about something. Or let's talk a level three conversation in a positive way. Let's take on that we're going to be very makbid on Lashon Hara. Let's take on that as a family, we're going to be very calm. Let's take on that as, you know, whatever. Anything that's transformative in a positive way. A person's going to invest only in a level two or a level three if they actually like you. If most of your interactions with the person is two and three, it's not going to work. There's a person that I dealt with who, who, I don't want to go through all the details, but essentially they had very limited interaction with their, with their kid. So they didn't have a lot of time to be able to spend with their child. And it was just like not going very well. So at one point I asked them, I said, tell me, you know, I know that like it's not going well. Tell me what you do when you spend time with your kids. He said, well, I have very little little time. So my kid needs to work on his Kriya and he has to work on his Gemara and he has to work. So basically he's like, okay, I have 10 minutes and then the, their entire conversation. So I said, of course your kid hates you. You're just basically the tutor who happens to be biologically related to him. But of course your kid doesn't like you. You, you only have level two and level three conversations with him, right? Level two is do this, do this, do this, do this. Let's work out the Gemara and let's go weiter. And then level three is you're terrible, you're horrible. You have to really work on your Kriya and become a better person. So of course your kid doesn't like you. Learn to pick up a bat and ball and play baseball with your, with your son. Learn, learn to take him on a date. Go buy him ice cream. Take him shopping. Like just go spend time with the child. If you have a level one, then you could have a level two and a level three. If you don't have a level one, then it's going to be very hard to have a level two and a level three conversation. And, and therefore, is this woman is a rock star. She's not sitting back in her house just drinking iced coffee after iced coffee after iced coffee. This is a person who started off small built herself up and built herself up even more, right? And she she took from her own savings. It wasn't just hers, it was his, it was joint. She appreciated the work that her husband puts in. She appreciates, he appreciates the work that she put in. They jointly, let's call it, took their money, invested in another thing, and another thing they started building in order to provide for their family. And they realized that they were partners. And when it came down to it, their knowledge increased. Their careers developed and evolved and they were able to realize like what we've become after 75 or 100 years is is not two people that are drifting aside no we're partners but as partners we together did this we together built whatever it is that we needed to build ramesha sharer i was reading his biography many years ago this story stuck with me because i thought it was such a beautiful concept ramesha sharer was known he met with every king and every queen and every prime minister that was what he did, right? He was like Claudius Charles' ambassador as the head of Agadis Charles of America. 
and this, what I read in the book, it, it like really stuck with me for a very long time, that there were times where he had to come home and his wife would become like the gatekeeper for him. He would sit in the other room and she would man the phones, make sure nobody bothered him, that he had what he needed. He was calm, cool, collected. He was able to like decompress from all the things that he was able to do. Even though she wasn't out there on the front lines, she shared his life. She shared his vision. She shared his goal. It wasn't him doing his thing and then coming home and his wife had nothing to do with it. She knew where he was, what he was doing, what he was speaking, who he was speaking for, what was... He was an ambassador, but his wife was also sending him out. He wasn't just Kleistral's ambassador. He was an ambassador for his own home. His wife protected him, allowed him to go, encouraged him to go. It was a joint effort. Whoever you will become over the next 50 to 100 years, whoever your spouse will become over the next 50 to 100 years, it shouldn't be despite the fact that they're married. It shouldn't be like, even though I was married, I was still able to do something. No, it should be because I was married, because my spouse encouraged me, because they supported me, because they were the one who allowed me to do what I needed to do. They weren't involved a million percent, but they knew what I was doing. They encouraged me to do it. They believed in me, and therefore I believed in myself. That is how a successful couple comes out successful at the end of the day. It's not that he's successful and she's the one who's like, I don't know what my husband did. You know what I'm saying? Like totally clueless or vice versa. Like she's changing the world and he's like, I don't know what she's doing every day. Ignorance is not okay. A person has to know what's going on in the world. They have to be learned. They have to be smart. Ignorance is not bliss. It's just completely dumb. We have to accept and embrace the fact that we have a brain. And when we challenge our brain, it expands like any other muscle. And if we put all those kaifas into our relationship, then our relationship grows and our family grows. And not only that, but we have sipok. We have real, real fulfillment in our day. And you'll find that just that thing alone will take out so much of the toxicity within your home because you'll actually have a meaningful day. So socks on the floor won't be bothering you. Little stuff won't get on your nerves. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.